Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on 88.3 WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations from of the all WLIWFM studio East in Southampton, New York on November 7th, 2022. I'm Gianna Volpe on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. Early voting is over. Election Day 2022 is tomorrow. The polls in New York State are open uh, from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, meanwhile, Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul and Republican Lee Zeldin are barreling to the finish of what likely will be New York's closest gubernatorial election in 28 years. Yancey Roy reports on Newsday.com that it's a race that features New York's first woman governor, who took over because of the resignation of Governor Andrew M. Cuomo, now trying to become its first elected woman governor. On the other side, Zeldin, a Long Island congressman, is trying to overcome Democrats' massive enrollment advantage and New Yorkers' blue state leanings on policy to become the first Republican to win a statewide election since 2002. It's a race that has seen party heavy hitters from either side rallying in New York for their candidate, President Joe Biden being the latest. The POTUS campaigned for Hochul yesterday in Yonkers. Jesse McKinley in the New York Times reports that in an 11th hour rally yesterday at Sarah Lawrence College in Westchester, President Biden appeared with Governor Hochul, calling her a governor who can get things done and characterizing elections day, uh, Election Day as a choice between two fundamentally different views of America. Democracy is literally on the ballot, President Biden said, speaking for a half hour in front of a crowd of college students and other supporters. Biden repeatedly criticized Hochul's Republican opponent, Representative Lee Zeldin, for his stances on gun control and abortion and ridiculed his focus on crime as empty rhetoric. The president's visit underlined that the governor's race in New York, once thought to be a worry-free contest for Democrats, has grown tighter, reflecting the party's troubles across the nation. Biden's appearance came on the heels of an event in Brooklyn on Saturday with former President Bill Clinton, who urged party faithful to reject what he characterized as fear-mongering and macho bravado, voiced by Zeldin. In New York, the governor's race has become one of the more competitive in the nation, a shock in a liberal state that hasn't elected a Republican to the governor's mansion since George Pataki won a third term in 2002. The race has offered voters strikingly different views on seemingly every campaign topic from crime to abortion rights to gun control to Donald Trump, but in the end will rest on what key voting blocks turn out and which ones sit out. But it's not the only source of political power up for grabs tomorrow. Uh, the high-stakes election day will determine if Republicans ride a red wave to the majority in both chambers of Congress or if Democrats can stir up a small blue tide to hold on to control of the Senate, according to polls and analysts. 26 congressional seats, including four on Long Island, will be at stake with the races helping determine which party controls Congress. All 213 seats in the state ledge also are on the line, though Democrats are expected to hold on to majorities in the state assembly and Senate. Republicans believe they will gain seats enough to end Democrats' two-thirds supermajority in the legislature. If that's not enough, three other statewide offices, U.S. 
Senator, State Comptroller, and Attorney General also are on the ballot. Tom Bruin reports on Newsday.com that the outcome of the midterm elections will shape the final two years of President Joe Biden's term and his ability to advance the Democrats' agenda, and it will set the stage for the presidential election in 2024. Democrats and Republicans have gone all out to win the five uh, to nine most competitive seats in the U.S. Senate and about five dozen seats in the U.S. House. There are four congressional district races here on Long Island. Uh, do not expect final election results Tuesday night. That's according to Danielle Lang, Senior Director of Voting Rights at the nonprofit Campaign Legal Center, a Washington, D.C. nonprofit that advocates for voter rights. Uh, Lang told Newsday, we're certainly not going to have final, final results, and we're not going to know who wins in a lot of the close races. Lang said she worries about voter intimidation and candidates denying they lost, undermining the vote counting process and seeking to overturn elections, as Trump and his supporters did in 2020. Quote, we've had some really outrageous attacks on the Democratic system in recent years, so I think that this election is in some ways a stress test, Lang said. Adding, but I think Americans are going to pass that test by showing up in big numbers and insisting on being heard. Um, We are looking at the weather in Stony Brook in honor of our first guest this morning, Dr. Nikhil Palakor, uh, joining us for the Medical Monday segment again, underwritten by Compass Realtor Jennifer Benton. A beautiful Monday, partly sunny, uh, gradually becoming more sunny with a high near 73 degrees. If you can get out there, I think you should consider it. Southwest wind, 8 to 10 miles per hour, becoming northwest in the afternoon. Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 44 degrees. North wind, 11 to 15 miles per hour. Right now, it's leaning warm at 67 degrees. I'm Gianna Volpe, uh, finishing off a playlist that I was playing for you last week, and I, uh, Kept the unplayed tracks in my back pocket. We've got The Who, Grace Vanderwall, Marty Attridge from right here on the East End, uh, Bishop Briggs, Leon Bridges, and Joni Mitchell. But first, Fleetwood Mac right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Getting ready for Dr. Nikhil Palikar to join us again here on The Heart. I'm tucking Grace Vanderwall in my back pocket just so I can back the who up with Marty Attridge, my very own right here on the East End. This is from his Old North Road record. It's The River Don't Know. On WLIWFM. Rusty monuments, memories long Worn away by wind and change of the heat will go. Time rolls by just like the river flows. And the river don't know. And the river don't care. Just rolls on by like you aren't even there. Babies cry, and old man sighs. It's the same song. Rhythm starts with a beating heart And we just sing along We know the tunes, we know the words And now the refrain goes Song plays on just like the river flows And the river don't know And the river don't care Just flows on by like you won't even All right, so we are welcoming back to the show Dr. Nikhil Palikar to talk about Alzheimer's disease. It is a National Alzheimer's Disease Awareness Month. Every 66 seconds in the United States, a new brain uh, is struck by this condition, two-thirds of which, by the way, are women. Uh, let's, talk, let's start, doctor, by talking about what we do and don't know about why this is a condition that primarily affects women and also about what we do and don't know about the ages in which it tends to develop. Yeah, thank you so much, Gianna, for having me on today. 
It's always a pleasure to be with you and your guests. Right back at you. Um, so what we know is that, uh, as you mentioned, every 65 or 66 seconds, someone in the United States develops Alzheimer's disease, which is a shocking number to begin with. And as the population is aging with our baby boomers, um, they're going to see these numbers increase, in fact. So we are really looking at a public health crisis at this point. And Tony Brook is at the forefront of helping patients and caregivers with Alzheimer's. Uh, we have a, a, uh, a center of excellence for Alzheimer's that's supported in part by uh, the New York State Department of Health. And they're able to provide services um, for comprehensive diagnosis and treatment of Alzheimer's and related dementias. We provide education to caregivers and physicians and students regarding the importance of early diagnosis and treatment. And we're also a hub for Long Islanders to engage in research studies and cutting-edge clinical trials. Now, we do see that uh, women in particular seem to uh, have higher rates of Alzheimer's compared to men. We really don't know why this is the case. Uh, there are some new studies that are coming out which are talking about maybe uh, having a, a genetic component that makes them at a high risk for Alzheimer's compared to men, but uh, we still need some more research to clarify this issue. However, it is affecting a lot of our uh, population in Long Island, and as a center of excellence, we cover all of Long Island, cover both counties, and we have uh, several uh, evaluation sites or, or satellite sites uh, which are located conveniently for patients and caregivers to receive uh, an evaluation and, and a diagnosis. I really want to spend some time uh, also to talk about the importance of clinical trials uh, and research studies, if you have some time. Please um, do. And I, and I did want to say, because I, I, the song was ending, I was saying hello to you, and I got us on the air so quickly, uh, I did want to just say, uh, you know, that Dr. Palakar is the director of both the Stony Brook Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's Disease and of the Division of Geriatric Psychiatry. Um, so, you know, after we talk about the clinical trials, I do want to uh, learn from you your thoughts about uh, what we might need to do to address uh, what you call the public health crisis as far as the rising numbers uh, in in the boomers uh, as far as Alzheimer's are concerned, uh, you know, what what we might need to do uh, to help them, the, the families, and, and all of us uh, to deal with this. But first, uh, please tell me about what you're learning in some of these clinical trials we're trying to learn. Yeah, thank you, Gianna. Uh, yeah, so, um, I'll, I'll start this with, with, the, with the, the story of Alzheimer's. So we don't really understand what causes that yet, but we do know that there are three main significant issues that are happening in the brain of someone who's developing Alzheimer's. One is that there is accumulation of proteins in the brain. Uh, so there's an accumulation of a protein called amyloid uh, and a protein called tau. And these proteins are present in our brains and they have a normal function, but for some reason, because of a process of aging, inflammation, we're not sure yet, these proteins start to accumulate. And that starts to form a cascading event in the brain that causes 
damage to various parts of the brain, leading to symptoms of Alzheimer's. Along with these accumulations of proteins, there's also a lot of inflammation that starts to develop in the brain, what we call as neuroinflammation or brain inflammation. So these are the three hallmarks of the disease, the accumulation of amyloid, tau, and neuroinflammation. And what we're trying to learn is uh, ways in which we can target these various uh, changes that are occurring in the brain through new treatments or groundbreaking research. Our current FDA-approved medications do not really help as much. They help a bit to slow down the progression of the illness, but they do not really work very well once someone has, you know, had had the illness for a few years. Which I mean, it really works best in the first few years of when someone develops Alzheimer's or a memory disorder. So we need to find new treatments, and that's where the clinical trials uh, come in. Uh, and these are sponsored by big pharmaceutical companies, uh, which have done a lot of research on various drugs. And now we're at a stage where they want to test these medications in patients with Alzheimer's and to see if these medications can really benefit them. And in order for us to facilitate that, we actually developed an Alzheimer's disease clinical trials program here at Stony Brook Medicine. So we wanted to be the hub, the central hub for all Long Islanders to be able to uh, have the opportunity to participate in these groundbreaking research and clinical trials. They wouldn't have to go to the city or out of the state. They can stay right here on Long Island, come to Stony Brook Medicine, come to our various locations uh, of the Center of Excellence and, and receive uh, treatment as well as engage in these clinical trials. I'm going to talk a little bit about these clinical trials. So uh, we have several of them. We have one that is, is currently recruiting patients. And the typical population that we try to recruit for these clinical trials are people who are in the age range of 55 and older. Um, and uh, for the clinical trial that we have right now, it's sponsored by a company called Novartis, which is a medication that they have developed that reduces brain inflammation and could have potential uh, significant impact on slowing the progression of Alzheimer's. So for this particular clinical trial, we are recruiting patients who have either what we call as MC, which is mild cognitive impairment. It's a precursor stage to Alzheimer's. Right. So patients with MCI most likely as years progress, go on to develop Alzheimer's. So we don't see if we can stop that from happening or slow it down. And then it's also uh, uh, trials who have mild Alzheimer's disease, uh, and we want to see if we can slow the progression of mild Alzheimer's from getting more severe into the moderate and severe stages. Have you so just that's one trial that we're recruiting? Actively you're right recruiting now. right now, okay? Yes, so that's active. That's recruiting, and uh, I will be happy to share our contact information on our website uh, in a few minutes, uh, where people can reach out to us if they are interested in participating. So that's that's Novartis study for inflammation. Then we have a study that we are starting recruitment in January. So we're just going through the final phases of the paperwork for the regulatory paperwork. And that's sponsored by a company called Roche and Genentech. And that is a really interesting uh, molecule. And that targets amyloid. So it basically removes the excessive amyloid accumulation in the brain. That's the, pro uh, that's the protein. I just wanted to, to like, just the return protein. back. Yeah. So it's it's sort of like, uh, to a layman, just to explain, because they, they call it pla plaque, right? Like a plaque buildup. It's yes. it's sort plaque of like, a, yeah. you know, uh, you're looking for the, the toothbrush for the brain, basically. 
<laughs> yeah, so basically, yeah, exactly. So basically what happens is this amyloid protein, they start to accumulate and they form these clumps or plaques right. on the brain. So that starts to, well, again, you know, uh, have a whole cascading and, effect. And doctor, on the, on the in, in, a normal, in a normal brain, what happens with these proteins? Uh, you know, I know you're, you're saying you, you don't quite understand, but like uh, normally where would these proteins be going uh, or, or not going? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I, what happens to a normal brain is that uh, the, the proteins are unnecessary for the functioning of the brain and they basically uh, are produced and then they get cleared out uh, after they're done with, you know, their work of, of you know, maintaining cellular structure and functioning of the, of the neurons and cells. And they get cleared by uh, what we call a cerebral spinal fluid. It's a fluid that covers the brain surfaces. Uh, and interestingly, this, this clearance of this protein happens at night when we sleep. Huh. And so sleep is also a significant part of Alzheimer's. There's a lot of research that's ongoing right now looking at the impact of sleep disruption on Alzheimer's. So the idea, so, so, so the protein does accumulate, but also there's an issue with clearance. It doesn't get cleared as rapidly as it does in someone without Alzheimer's. So we have two issues going on. We have an increased accumulation of these proteins and clumps and decreased clearance as well. Um, which does not occur in normal people. It's fascinating so, so stuff. This medication. Yeah, thank you for yeah. explaining this, that. Go this, ahead. This medication uh, by, by Roche and Genentech is called Gantinarumab. Uh, it's a mouthful, but it basically binds to the excessive amyloid plaques and removes them. Uh, from Sounds the promising. Uh, it basically takes, yeah, exactly. It removes them. It gets the plaques out into the bloodstream, into the blood vessels of the brain, through which then it is it is it's broken down and gotten out of the brain. So that's really exciting. And what they're trying to do actually in this study is that they're looking for people who have that amyloid in the brain and we can we can identify them through a PET scan, right. which we do at Stony Brook. And um, if they have amyloid uh, and they are asymptomatic, so these are patients who do not have any symptoms of memory problems. Huh, but they have that, 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 that buildup that's already showing on the scans. That's fascinating. That's right. That's right. So they look on the scan and they don't have any symptoms. So this company is trying to see if they can actually stop the, the development of symptoms completely. Right. So what if we start really early when we know that there is this accumulation of amyloid that's happening, but people are not symptomatic? Let's try this medication and see uh, if it can completely halt the, the occurrence of symptoms. You know, it's an and interesting, that's an interesting one because the the results ought to be twofold. Number one, uh, you can uh, evaluate whether the person is developing symptoms or not. And two, I imagine uh, the work would show up on uh, subsequent PET scans, what, whether or not uh, this amyloid is breaking down or not. Absolutely. So we can actually measure the amount of amyloid that's accumulated in the brain through the PET scan, and then we can see how much of amyloid has been removed by these medications. Fascinating stuff. And finally, we want to see how does it benefit the patient, both in terms of symptoms as well as in terms of functioning, to see if it improves their ability to function in their day-to-day activities. And so that's a really interesting study, and we are very... Um, um, excited about it, uh, that we can provide that to all that of That one's our starting in, in January. 
Um, and I and so and we, that we, will start recruitment in January. We, and then we have go, well, doctor, doctor, yeah, we've actually we we've hit our time, but I would love to have you back. It oh. is November is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, so if you'd like, we'll put a pin in this conversation and have you back again because there's a, a many questions. I'm very curious oh, about this stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And let me just before I leave, go ahead. If people want to reach out to us; they can call us at six three one nine five four two three two three. That's our number for our Center of Excellence. Again, 631-954-2323. Or you can go online at cedlongisland.org. So and that's our website. Yeah, re- so, repeat uh, the website yep, if you don't I'm mind. I'm happy to come back again anytime. Thank you so much for, for the time today. Dr. Palakar, can you just repeat the, uh, the website once more? Sure. It's cedlongisland.org. C at Long Island's word. .org, Dr. Nikhil Palakar, Director of the Stony Brook Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's Disease and the Division of Geriatric Psychiatry. Uh, he will be back with us. I'm Gianna Volpe. Uh, that was the Medical Monday segment underwritten by uh, Jennifer Benton. Um, let's see. And it looks like this is frozen. Is there music? This is Nick Drake, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to WLIWFM. If it tells me all it knows about the way his river flows, I don't suppose it's meant to be. Nick Drake's Riverman from Five Leaves Left. Jumping the gun just a little bit. I did have Bishop Briggs, Leon Bridges, and Joni Mitchell. So I will play those and then hop straight over Riverman to play Long Island's own Robert Bruey here on WLIWFM. After Bishop Briggs, Leon Bridges, and Joni Mitchell. Don't you say, don't you say it 
This next one, I think I've told you guys before, is the first track on Harmony's, like, Sleepy Time playlist. So I can't tell you how many times I've heard this song this year. Never gets old. Leon Bridges, gorgeous set of pipes, beautiful songs, right here on WLIWFM. Traveling these wide roads for so long, my heart's been far from you. Ten thousand miles gone. Oh, I wanna come near and give every part of me, but there's blood on my hands and my lips are unclean. In my darkness, I remember Mama's words reoccur to me. Surrender to the good Lord and to wipe your slate clean. Take me to your river. My sins flow down the Jordan. Oh, I wanna come here and give every part of me. But there's blood on my hands, and my lips are unclean. Take me to your river. To 
stocking Joni Mitchell's River in my back pocket because it's just too dang warm to play that track. Of course, Nick Drake's Riverman snuck through a little earlier, so we're hopping straight uh, forward on the playlist to Robert Bruy's River of Stars, which will lead us into our stars section of the set list, which will lead us to a moon section of the set list, likely tomorrow when there will be a full moon on Election Day. I think that's a fascinating uh, little non-sequitur. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Robert Bruy. We've got Grace Potter and the Nocturnals, Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp, and Benson Boone uh, on deck before Peter Green. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, a little more than 10 minutes before the NPR news break, and the local news update right here on Long Island's only Local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. i 
will take Take this chance and find some courage You know it's hard You might just find yourself of stars from the 2014 record Carousel, slinking back two years for Grace Potter and the Nocturnals, The Lion, The Beast, The Beat of 2012, a nice 10-year, one-single-decade jump forward in time to Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp's Stars and Benson Boone's In the Stars here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI-WFM.
so I can't look at the stars. <sighs> Loving today's playlist. As per usual, leading you into the NPR news break with Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp, leading you out after the local news update with Benson Boone, right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI WFM, 88.3 and 96.9 FM, online at WLIW.org slash radio. With Long Island local news on November 7th, 2022, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. 
New York's last Republican governor is ready to party like it's 1994. George Pataki told the New York Post that gubernatorial GOP candidate Lee Zeldin has a real shot to replicate his own stunning upset over three-term incumbent Democrat Mario Cuomo back in 94. Quote, this is a real cliffhanger. Clearly the momentum is with Zeldin. Lee has an excellent chance on Tuesday to pull this off. Pataki, 77, told The Post, quote, the failure of Hochul and the Democrats to deal with crime and change the pro-criminal laws they created has provided the opening, said the 53rd governor of New York State. A series of recent polls show a tight race between Congressman Zeldin and incumbent Governor Democrat Kathy Hochul, who replaced ex-Governor Andrew Cuomo, who resigned last year. Pataki ran against Andrew's father on the crime issue and taxes and went on to serve three terms from 1995 through 2006. During the closing days of the campaign, Zeldin's rhetoric on public safety and inflation seemed to be galvanizing and invigorating his supporters. At rallies, many of Zeldin's supporters said they planned to vote on Tuesday, saying they didn't trust the early voting system. Yesterday was the last day for early voting in New York State. The polls in New York open tomorrow from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Voters can see if they're registered to vote tomorrow through the New York State Board of Elections portal at voterlookup.elections.ny.gov. The site also shows the assigned polling place that must be used to cast their ballot. Voters in the general election will cast ballots for governor, attorney general, comptroller, and New York State Senate and Assembly candidates, as well as for the U.S. House and Senate. A statewide referendum will ask the state ask if the state should borrow $4.2 billion for capital projects to address global warming and other environmental and public health concerns. The second ballot proposal, this one specific to Suffolk County voters, looks to clarify term limits for certain county officials. Signed by County Executive Steve Ballone in June, the measure, if approved by voters, would change the county charter and restrict terms for county legislators, the county executive, and the comptroller. The offices of district attorney, county sheriff, and county clerk are exempt. Also on the South Fork ballot, a community housing fund referendum, Proposition 3 will be voted on. We'll be talking about that more tomorrow morning um, with Michael Daly and Catherine Soka over at Kenio's uh, Books. As reported on 27East.com, there are three proposals uh, for South Fork voters. We just mentioned two of them. The first is a statewide proposal, the Clean Water, Clean Air, and Green Jobs Act of 2022, designed to address and combat the impacts of climate change and damage to the environment. Uh, as mentioned before, the act will authorize the sale of state bonds up to $4.2 billion to fund environmental protection, natural restoration, resiliency, and clean energy uh, projects, uh, if approved. Um, we would borrow that money for the following restoration and flood risk reduction, at least uh, $1.1 billion allocated there, open space land conservation and recreation, up to $650 million there, climate change mitigation, up to $1.5 billion, and water quality improvement and resilient infrastructure, at least $650 million for that measure, which is a, a huge consideration uh, considering where we live and being surrounded by the water as we are as mentioned we have that second 
uh, ballot proposal specific to Suffolk County to clarify term limits. The third one is the um, the Community Housing Fund. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. Voters in East Hampton and South Hampton towns will be asked to weigh in on establishing a half percent tax paid by the purchaser on the transfer of real property. I believe this excludes first home buyers. Just a little note there, but we'll talk more tomorrow. Uh, revenues from that half percent tax paid by uh, those buying uh, a property in those towns uh, will be deposited in the community housing fund to address affordable housing issues. Southold and Shelter Island towns have signed on to place a similar referendum on their ballots. Riverhead Town did not. The CHF is modeled after the successful Community Preservation Fund, which enacted a real estate transfer tax with revenues dedicated to the preservation of open space, historic places, and farmland. Again, Election Day tomorrow, November 8th. Polls open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. In New York State, there is no early voting today. Uh, That has ended uh, yesterday. So to vote tomorrow, you must vote at the polling place where you're registered. Again, you can find out that information uh, online at voterlookup.elections.ny.gov. Reading the weather in Sag Harbor in honor of our next guest, director Laylee Lippard and star Michelle Azar joining us for the Monday Meditation, underwritten by the Parish Art Museum, to talk about Bay Street's current show running through the end of November, celebrating the life and trials of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, its literature lives, all things equal, uh, looking like a partly sunny, then gradually becoming sunny, uh, Monday with a high near 72 degrees, gorgeous October, oh, October, gorgeous November day, west wind around 10 miles per hour, tonight mostly clear with a low around 41 degrees, northwest wind 13 to 17 miles per hour, right now it's 72 degrees, getting back to the music from all decades and genres here on the heart of the East End, Benson Boone, this is In the Stars, it's a single from this year, and we'll go back to 79 and here are Peter Green's Seven Stars. Uh, then after that, uh, a, a movie that I have not seen yet. Don't be mad at me. I've never seen La La Land, but I chose Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone's City of Stars to precede Katie Lang's and uh, The Bosses tracks, Western Stars, one from Katie's uh, 88 record Shadowland and the title track to Bruce Springsteen's 2019 record. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI-WFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, uh, recorded live in the WLI-WFM studio, Monday through Friday, 9 to 11. Of course, there's a replay at midnight of the show on the 88.3 section of your FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in Central and Western Suffolk County, of course, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio. Stay tuned. Sunday mornings were your favorite. I used to meet you down on Woods Creek Road. You did your hair up like you were famous Even though it's only church where we were going Now 
Sunday mornings I just sleep in It's like I buried my faith with you I'm screaming at a God I don't know if I believe in Cause I don't know what else I can do I'm still holding on to everything that's dead and gone I don't want to say goodbye Cause this one means forever Now you're in the stars And six feet's never felt so far Here I am alone between the heavens and the embers Oh, it hurts so hard For a million different reasons You took the best of my heart And left the rest in pieces Digging through your old birthday letters A crumpled 20 still in the box Spirits from the sky. 
shining just for me City of stars There's so much that I can't see Who knows I felt it from the first embrace I shared with to stay City of stars 
Western stars light up the sky. Hear the desert wind roll by tonight. Tonight. Western stars can break your heart. They keep shining. Western stars light up the sky tonight. I'm alone to cry tonight. Western stars light up the sky. Hear the desert wind roll by tonight. 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 Wake up in the morning 
glad my boots are on Instead of emptying the whispering grass Down the fabric forest lawn On the set to make a thoroughbred Two raw eggs and a shot of hen And I give it all up for that little blue pill I promise to bring it all back to you Ride me down easy Ride me down easy, friend Tonight the western stars are shining bright again Here in the canyons above sunset The desert don't give up the fight with some was chihuahua Miss T skitters across my veranda in the night Some lost sheep from Oklahoma Sips her mojito down at the whiskey bar Smiles and says she thinks she remembers me from that Commercial with a crate of cars Hell, these days are Neither's just again Tonight the western stars are shining bright again Sundays I take my El Camino Throw my saddle in East to the desert where the shadows They still ride and roll Our American brothers Cross the wire and bring the old ways with them Tonight the western stars are shining I was shot by John Wayne Yeah, it was towards the end That one scene's brought me a thousand drinks Setting you up and I'll tell it for your friend Here's to the cowboy Riders in the whirlwind Tonight the western star Stop.
Oh my goodness, we do have Laylee Lippard and, or Lippard, we'll find out the pronunciation in just a few moments. Michelle Azar as well from the literature live performances of All Things Equal, The Life and Trials of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is, ah, great track. Billy Bragg and Wilco, California Stars from the Mermaid Avenue record. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Billy Bragg and Wilco leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour on Monday morning. Just after 1 o'clock if you're listening to the replay. And that means it's time for our actually our first Monday meditation underwritten by the Parish Art Museum. Uh, very grateful to have Laylee Lippard. Now, did I say it right? Is it Lippard? Lippard. Lippard. Okay. And Michelle Azar uh, here to talk about the B Street's current show running through the end of November, celebrating the life and trials of the one and only Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It is a literature live show um, called All Things Equal. And before we get into the woman behind the initials, I do want to talk a little bit about Literature Live because it's a BOCES approved arts in education program designed specifically with middle and high school students, teachers, and administrators in mind, which I love. Uh, did you have any schools attending uh, during the opening weekend? No, I think the first school that's going to attend, which I'm excited to see, is on Tuesday morning. As in tomorrow. Oh, that's very tomorrow. cool. Yeah. So who's coming in? We were just discussing this in the car. It's like, we don't know. Oh, you don't know? We don't know. That's I think so it's... Um, oh, I, I'm so bad at remembering numbers, hence, if you see the show, you'll That's see. That's Michelle, by the way. <laughs> Hi. Um, and uh, they they gave the number. I mean, they have serviced, like, many, many thousand students. That's phenomenal. It's amazing, right? Now, you do do a question and answer session after every performance? Uh, Each of the literature yeah. live, yes. Okay. So, so did you have any question and answer sessions this past weekend? So we did, actually. The uh, theater itself facilitated one with the writer, Rupert Holmes, who was with Fantastic. us. Fantastic. Yeah, it was actually the first time that Rupert saw this piece. We had a great <laughs> run in Florida that he was unable to come to because he had a little Pirates of Penzance <laughs> on Broadway that he was working on. So he got to see it for the first time. Are you time. kidding me? Yeah. So we actually got to talk with him in person. I mean, I've been on the phone with him talking about rewrites and discussing choices and thinking about direction and uh, where this piece is going to go and how it's going to move and how it's shaped. Oh, but... please tell me more about that because <laughs> I, I, don't, I would love to know more about that process from the directorial standpoint. Oh, yeah. You know, um, I was given the script um, and I read through it in a night. And one of my favorite things is working on new plays. It's something that I've done across the country. And being able to see something on the ground floor, a new play that no other director's eyes have seen, interpreting that, and then to be able to have a Super conversation exciting. with him. And then as we begin to shape it and start to understand how the play is going to move, who this woman is, who everybody has a different vision of who RBG is, whether she's the notorious me. or it the victorious. It surprises me because yeah. uh, knowing what I do about who this woman was and has done, I always get surprised that there's uh, multiple mm. uh, points of vision on 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 her importance or uh, anything else. It's it surprises me that people see her in any other way than the talk than what back I do. that night actually was very very meaningful because. There were several people in the audience. One was a, a lawyer who uh, stood up and she said, look, I'm a lawyer and I could go on and on about this and that. But I wanted to just highlight the abortion issues, the way that she that that RBG had crafted her reason for why a woman should be allowed to have an abortion. They, that issue. Another man said I was hesitant to come because I didn't like her anymore once she kind of left us in a spot not being given, you know, not resigning when she could have and Obama would have 
appointed other people to the court that might have been more in the her line of thinking. Okay, I can, but he I said, can see now I was why so people glad. That's good. right. Okay, that's right. Because for us too, I mean, I, I didn't know enough about RBG when I said yes to the project, but I only knew that she had forged this incredible world for women right. that I didn't know could exist, but I didn't know how far reaching her hand was. Mm -hmm. Oh, please talk a little bit more about uh, your discovery of oh. Ruth Bader Ginsburg in taking on the role of her, especially now so so close to after she's passed. Yeah, that's what that was what was so exciting and terrifying about saying yes to the project. But it's big. Lately I really felt as soon as I met her, was like, oh right, okay, we're in really good hands here. Because if there was something that was at all controversial about her, instead of shying away from it, she just went right in. Laylee just said, let's let's Hell suss yeah. this through. Yeah. Very Hell cool. Yeah. All right. So and what did you learn? What's something oh, that you learned God. about her that you did not know before you did this? I did project? not know that she was the first full time female professor at Columbia University or anywhere for that matter. And you know, I mean, Laylee knows this, but I was raised in a very interesting kind of household. Like my dad is first generation American from Iraq by way of Israel. His mom was married at 12, had babies at 13. Wow. Very so different. Very different, we're, right? We're and so I was always told like, yes, 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 you can do everything. You can be everything. My mom is the daughter of an immigrant, but, and she got her PhD, but like you will get married. And you will have a husband uh, to support you. Some, so, like, some like a heteronormative, very uh, much, like, uh, point very of much. view. And I was married early in my own personal life, you know. And I'm, I'm, it's not lost on me that like this dual messaging was not only confusing but important for me right now because I'm, I'm speaking these incredible words and I'm able to mean them differently. And I'm raising two daughters. Such you know, a, and it's, it's just, it's so encouraging. So I didn't know how far reaching her hand was. Lily, did you want to add something? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned about her was not only what she had to face because of gender disparity, but, but the amount of suffering in her life as right. an individual person with yes. cancer. Yeah. So her mother died when she was 17. She was valedictorian and she didn't get to give her speech. Then she had cancer four times. Mm -hmm. Her husband had cancer while when he was, was at, right now while she was at while law she school, was in school. Harvard. And her baby while she was, was one of nine women studying law. Right, at Harvard. right, right. And then when she was on the Supreme Court, one of the main things that she connected with the first woman on the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor, they have this conversation about, okay, here's how you do chemo: you do it on a Friday night, so that you get over the worst of your sickness and show up for work on Monday morning. She was back from cancer treatment mere week, like a week after. Mm -hmm. the The amount of resilience, right? I had no idea, no idea. But Lely embodies resilience, and it's interesting. I was going to say, uh, I don't know if it, it it makes sense to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but that seems like such a female story because I know mm. that that type of thinking is where I would be if if I were in wow. in that, that position. Um, you know, it's how to. Even having uh, my child, my first thought was, okay, getting back to work, uh, you know, and of course I'm going to be bonding with my child and I love my, my baby, but I'm really thinking also, I want to make sure that I'm not derailing uh, my career. Wow. So I, it's, it's something that uh, maybe it's not, maybe every, oh, everyone is different. We know that. Well, I mean, I was trying to get off book, <laughs> right? And my mom is now living with me. And so I asked her to help 
me learn my lines. And I'll never forget, she, when I said, there's this line, um, our nanny would come in at 8 o'clock and stay until 4, during which time, I see I'm showing off that I know my lines finally, <laughs> during which time <laughs> I would go to classes, study, and read the next day's assignment, right? My right. mom was like, what? How? Even though my mom did that, essentially, you know, like when she was getting her PhD and having four children. That's amazing. But she doesn't recognize that because she's because she's, she's seeing it outside of that's herself. That's right. And when I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, I would have dropped out of law school had my husband had cancer and just taken care of him and my baby for sure. For sure. Right that, that's so funny. My mom had me when she was finishing her PhD. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I See? didn't know that. We're learning so much about each other all the time. That's so cool. Wow. But, you know, I think that's that's interesting because I feel like this is a, a play or a hope that we can invite people, uh, especially women, to look look at themselves in a, a more in a better light, in a, a more resilient light. That is a way to take it. Hey, thanks. <laughs> hey, well done. I just... No, really, like... Yeah, trying to invite the sunshine in uh, any way. Yes. Because maybe more... Oh, here's another lovely, incredible message that Rupert really honed in Friday night at the talkback, was that what he wanted to also make sure that we all get is that she was just a woman. You know, she wasn't... Gandhi, or she wasn't. Born. She was right. She wasn't superhuman. Correct. Although she, she was feels like it. Superwoman. She absolutely feels like. Oh my god, a superhero. Right. But but it's it, it's interesting because uh, I guess what he's saying is the same sort of things is is to find the superhero inside of all of us. Um, it, and I I think it's amazing that he was there. That must have been such a cool experience. Oh, I, yeah. And I've been talking with him. You know, we we talk with him over the different, you know, various electronic media that you one talks to. <laughs> but to actually have him mm-hmm. breathe the same air, because, I mean, that's that's the thing of us all returning again to one another is like the theater is the place where we go to have our heartbeat at the same time as we breathe the same air, as we have the same experience of a woman who I think we all wish. Well, let me asterisk all wish was back to give us guidance in this moment where the veils are changing, where we're all becoming um, citizens together again, body to body, and Mm -hmm. making these decisions in our government. Right. And to to be able to have her. And I think that that's Rupert's presence there closed to the circle of this, of the making of this new play that I hope is going to touch so many people. What did Rupert say when when he's seeing... Uh, this play for the first time. He cried. At, he went, I'm totally. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to talk out of turn a little bit with this, but he had uh, a daughter who he was thinking about when he wrote this. And um, it's so, again, it's it's like I think about my mom who has passed. I know you have had so many women in your life. And I think this play really touches on, like, who we need around us, who we talk to in those moments of of aloneness when we're afraid and we need resilience. And that's what's happening. She's talking to a young student. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah, he really shows that conceit very well and wisely. And the audience, um, I think they feel settled too because, you know, it's 90 minutes of me talking (laughs) to them directly. Like, we break the fourth wall a lot. However, the container is that they don't have to be responsible for anything because we're talking to a young woman. This is fantastic. I think it's really important, um, especially uh, in a period where uh, post uh, the Great Recession, 
I feel like there was a huge breakdown mm-hmm. uh, between the generations. You know, um, the aging generation, even uh, when we think about like, all right, you're mentoring and then you're inviting people up the ladder, that ladder sort of gotten, got chopped down uh, post-Great Recession where people were more protective of keeping their job and trying to keep, you know, the, the ones coming up from coming up. Wow. And I feel like right now that that division stands and I would love to see more people. I, I as a person personally, I try to make sure if there's a young person that has questions that wants guidance to do that and to do that uh, unafraid of how it could affect me or, you know, oh, they're going to they're going to take my job. or They're going to yeah. take my things. Uh, to try to just rebuild that because it's so important, especially when you see, you know, uh, where we're moving as a people. What did you say? Body to body citizens of the world. Like, I feel like if we can uh, try to guide in a uh, a more respectful space uh, on both sides, on both sides. Yeah. Oh, well, what were you thinking of, Nino? Yes, that's no. Yes, yeah, we go. have the same thoughts yes, often. No, you go. That's good that you share a brain. <laughs> Lazy is you know. very eloquent. I would like you to no, please. First, I want to also say when we talk about the magic of theater and what happens, that if you come see this show, something happens in the room Ooh. where <laughs> Michelle channels this oh, woman. Good. It it is electric. And powerful and one of the greatest pieces of art I have ever been able to be a part of. So I just wanted to say that. And in doing that, what you hold so beautifully is how fiercely she held a contradiction, right? Mm. Art gets at what truth is and truth is holding contradiction. She loved Antonin Scalia, who was one of my least favorite people in the whole world. LOL. <laughs> LOL. I adore her. <laughs> I know I was going to talk about OK Boomer and then I was like eventually it's going right. to be OK Millennial. Right. But, but this but this play has so much to do and embodies so clearly what love is, which is holding contradiction as yeah. well. How you can be in a place where especially when you're talking about litigation and law in this country, how you ha- there must be a maintaining that we are all humans and there yeah. is a cord, uh, there's the silver cord of humanity that connects us all because we all want safety for us and our family and we all want to feel loved yeah. and however that manifests. That. And that's what she fought for. Yes. And they strengthened each other through that dichotomy, through those discussions. And we talk about that really clearly. And I think that's also why the men in the audience, let's say, I hope, don't feel attacked don't feel yes we've had in it's florida growth. You know, it's there's, growth you know there's there's tough conversations That's that need to be had but I, I think that it's important that when you're in a uh, a, a conversation or, or at a play where something is being talked about that's not how you see the world or someone is saying something where that's not how you see the world to remember that this is a, a growing experience and people aren't uh, static. They don't stay in one frame of mind. And if they're saying something, to try to just, you know, breathe and allow them to grow. You, I, know? you know, she said, I have this lovely small book of her descents. And 
right like a lot of books but this small book of her descents um the somebody asked her like well you used to be such a centrist on the supreme court and now you've taken this kind of vitriol and, and she says well no i'm doing what's needed and i need to just make my point clear while listening to what's being said around me so i'm just gonna i'm i'm listening i'm staying really clear i'm not getting emotional Uh, you know, sometimes it sounds like she's more emotional than others, maybe later in her life, too. Well, is she also stepping into her power and, and using it. Correct. You know, this is just so exciting. Uh, we do have That's to move. We're, we're, we're far over time. Oh, you really? guys are welcome back at, at any time. We've got eight more minutes before. I have to say this. I mean, I'm looking at your young, sweet face, and I'm like, thanks. You're talking. You're exactly (laughs) what she's talking about. Like, you're making the difference. You know what? Thank you very much. It's it's something that I'm very lucky. I was a person who, you know, lonely kid who read a lot. (laughs) Lonely kid who read a lot and like cleaned cleaned parks (laughs) on my off time because you know what? Yeah. And and if you didn't know, now you know, guys. But um, this is a person I always, I've always wanted to, uh, you know, I never felt different than men. I always sort of felt, um, you know, very powerful. And that comes from from knowledge. And it's something that's, uh, you know, you get bullied as a kid when you are smart and you, you know things and People are like, you're weird. And I'm yeah. like, give me the definition of normal. <laughs> and they're like, we're in third grade. Just you're weird. Love this play. I can't wait. By the way, it runs through November. Baystreet.org, I believe, is the website. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Laylee Lippard and Michelle Azar. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the Monday Meditation, underwritten by Parish Art Museum. Uh, this is Young Blood Hawk. Stars hold on from the Wake Up Record of 2012. Stay tuned.
All right, leading you into the NPR news break with a Coldplay cover by Talon Egerton, or Taryn Egerton, um, from the Sing 2 soundtrack. It made me cry, guys. I cried. Not gonna lie. You're listening to WLIWFM. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars. I'm gonna give you my heart. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars. Cause you light up the path. I don't care. 